Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is the founder and principal of Wealth Planners, Denny Gustin Piazza. Thank you for joining me on the show, Denny. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your journey into our business. How did you get into the financial advice profession and, and what inspired you? So my mom is the reason that I got into the business, even though my father was a full service insurance agent. I was in college and I was going to be going from having a bachelor in animal husbandry. I wanted to be a veterinarian. And my mom said, come home, your dad needs you in the business. So that's what I did. And it just went from there. I think I've heard a little bit of your story in terms of those early years and knocking on doors and having to, I think there's something out there about your father telling you that at a certain point of revenue, you had finally made it or he finally decided you were in it. So tell us about that. Yeah. So when I started, it was 1980. And although my mom had said, come home, we need you in the business. My dad thought, what are you doing here? You're going to get married and go on and have kids and have a family. And you know, you don't really need to be here because the, your journey will be different. So I started uh, working and I started by going door to door to small businesses and seeing if I could provide them with their health insurance coverage or their property and casualty coverage. Because back then, investments weren't that big yet. Most people were just learning about the fact that you could buy term insurance and invest the difference in something called a mutual fund. Pioneer Fund and Western Reserve were some of the first to put those two things together. So I would go door to door, try to get business. And eventually I did pretty good. I made like $75,000 in one year. And my dad was like, okay, I guess you're serious. So he said, I'll tell you what, let's be partners. I'll help you now. And you help me later when I'm older. And that's exactly what we did. In 2013, I bought him out of his business. So. That's great. So the key for some of our listeners is probably don't let even your family discourage you from giving it a shot and don't give up, right? Because it took you a while to get there. Absolutely. It took me a long time to get there. And especially because people's perception of who you're supposed to be should never define you, which is what you're saying, right? Absolutely. And so That's great. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the most fulfilling part of you working specifically with your clients. You've got a couple different models, if I remember correctly, on how you approach things. And let's talk about those. So I think for me, always in along my journey, even when I started in the early 80s, it was always to help people, right? It uh, didn't matter who they were, but back in the 80s, women were just learning about credit. We were just having the right to have credit. So teaching us Isn't how to that do crazy. I know it's really crazy, right? Yeah. Especially with everything going on today. Yes. It wasn't that long ago that we were fighting for those rights just to be able to have our own credit card, buy our own house, all of that. So, but helping people has always been what motivated me and to see them achieve their goals. And I think the hardest thing for us as professionals is to allow our clients to figure out for themselves what it is they wanna do. I, I always say that we need a safe space for them to discern for themselves what their goals are and then to help them accomplish it. 
I really enjoy figuring out the puzzle. And once we do that, seeing them actually accomplish their goals is what really makes me happy. Do you have a specific example with a particular client that you can think of that really gave you that heart fulfillment that you can share with the audience? A client, a husband and wife, came to see us. They had to retire. They had a wonderful little business. And they came, they invested their money with us, and everything was going along just fine. And then their daughter wanted to buy a house, but she couldn't afford to buy the house. And we had suggested that they didn't lend them the money to buy the house, but they did. And naturally, you can guess what happened. The daughter and her husband weren't able to pay the monthly payments that they needed to. So together, we figured out how to work out a, a schedule and a system for the daughter to make smaller payments, but to stay in the house. We kind of re-engineered some of their investments so that they would be able to have the cash flow they needed while she got back on her feet. Just maybe a year ago, the daughter got her own mortgage, took over the house completely, and family stayed happily together. They struggled through it, but they made it through. And I think we had a, you know, a, an important part in making sure that happened for them. Absolutely. And maybe another key message there is as a advice provider, there will be times when you provide advice and they choose not to take it. Yes. And you have to set your own ego aside and help them work through whatever the ramifications are of them not taking your advice. And that probably isn't easy or definitely not an easy thing to learn as you're coming up in your career. Absolutely. Uh, it goes back to that thing about discerning for yourself. And I think I once mentioned that in my early career, our tagline was putting why before how in health, wealth, and legacy. So always remembering why is it important for them to do what they're doing? And it goes way beyond just the financial, the financial importance of it, right? There's a lot of other emotions that are in there that are, or maybe values would be the right word that are in there that are equally or maybe more important to them. Absolutely. Great, great input. So you brought up values. Let's pivot a little bit. What are the values that are most important to you in your business, you and your team? Well, I think that we always believe that we have to be unbiased, putting the client's values first. I think some of the ones that we all say, the idea of honesty and integrity are extremely important to us. We recognize that the trust that people give us, we only get one shot with it. And so that, that important piece of being honest, always putting them first, having integrity, I think those are probably the most important ones. And then I think just being of service, right? Helping others to always do better. Tell us a little bit about the structure of your team. It occurred to me that there may be some listeners who could get some real value out of what I know that you've recently gone through over the last five years or so in converting the business model of your organization. And maybe you could share some of that. Yeah. Originally, we were my father, my husband, and I, and another gentleman whose name was John McLeod. John and my father both passed away within a short period of time. And it caused us to really rethink 
what our business structure looked like. Because what I realized was, even though we were partners, even though we shared some of the same clients, even though we all knew about each other's clients intimately, the clients didn't know that. So when my dad and John passed away, it was like starting all over again. We had to make sure the clients felt safe and comfortable and assure them that we really knew who they were. And that was a lot of work for everybody. So we changed our structure. Now we all work in teams. We never get on a client call without there being what I call a first chair and a second chair. And in any client meeting, that could be two, two of us who have the same experience, or it could be one of us who has more experience than the other, but there's always two of us. And then the, all, the entire team talks about the clients every Monday and Thursday. And we make sure that each member of the team actually engages with the client on different aspects so that the clients feel very comfortable that if I wasn't there, it's okay because Michael or David or somebody else could handle whatever question they had because they were actually sitting in the meeting. So that's how we kind of change the structure and it's working really well. And I think when I'm ready, when Dan and I are ready to transition and hand it over to the next generation, that transition will go much, much more smoothly. The beauty of that up and coming model of ensemble, right? Absolutely. Um, it's been around for years, but it's picking up some real steam, maybe because of the desire for the next generation to work in teams. Yep, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I look at Michael, who works for us, who's 29, and the language that he uses is all about the team. And he thrives in that. Where I grew up, it was all about what I was doing and the relationship I had. Just the choice of words is completely different when you're in an ensemble and when you're relating to this younger generation than the way that I did it. And I think that ability to create that legacy, you really have to step back and kind of get your ego out of the way and say, what do I need to do in order to make sure this business will last as opposed to what do I need to do in order to feel good about what happened at the end of the day? What you just said is a great example probably of why Cambridge and your team uh, have so many synergies because we also want Cambridge to live forever, right? And have had many, many discussions about what you just described, stepping back and intentionally grooming the next generation. And sometimes you do have to put your ego aside. Absolutely. And it, it's kind of interesting that when I joined in 2010, I was looking for the next right home, right? I'd been in this business 40 years had been through four broker dealers, lots of mergers, lots of private equity coming in and telling us what we needed to do. And so when we came to Cambridge, we thought, okay, another home. But over the years, I think we've realized it's our last home because of the synergy that we have and the fact that we're a team. And that doesn't mean everything always goes right. There's times when we get frustrated or things go wrong, but it's always a pleasure to come back and try to figure it out with you guys because I know our intentions are all in the right place and you care about us as much as I care about my clients. So it's a great 
team effort. Partnership. Partnership. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. So let's talk about something fun. I know that you volunteer with a local animal shelter and you've rescued and fostered 35 kittens mm -hmm. as well as work with a local chapter on leukemia research. So why do you think it's important for people in our business to find an outlet like that and give back in a different way? Uh, I think that it just makes us better professionals because when you give back, it turns out when you give back, you get more, I think, than what you give, right? Besides having rescued the kittens, which it's obvious all you have to do is look at a TikTok video or any video when you see those little animals and they're rescued and they're so happy later on, you know, it makes your heart so feel so warm, right? So happy. I think that's the feeling I get when I help my clients. But I used to volunteer on the Navajo reservation and we would go out into the desert to these hogans and people's, you know, places where they lived and they had nothing. And yet when I would leave, I felt like I just learned so much and got so much more fulfillment than what I was able to give to them. Now, hopefully they thought they got plenty of fulfillment too, but I think that it's that act of giving that really makes a difference. And so whether that's rescuing kitties or helping people, you know, achieve their goals or helping someone who has cancer, whatever it is, or the Navajo, I think it really makes a difference in our lives and helps to keep us grounded. Um, it's too easy to get caught up in the financial, you know, world and trying to trying to make your money and be successful, that you have to remember those other things, which are what make us good advisors. So fun fact, how many of the 35 kittens that you rescued <laughs> still live with you? Much to my husband's dismay, there's <laughs> seven cats that live in our house, six of which we rescued from our backyard. We have three feral cats that live outside in a feral colony. At one time, we had 10 in our colony, but now we're down to three, which he's very happy about. Uh, so, and we just recently, of the seven, two of them, we just recently rescued from Florida. So hopefully I won't rescue anymore, but I'm not going to bet on that. There's nothing wrong with being a cat lady. You're <laughs> the, all good. The crazy good. cat lady. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Let's wrap this up with you providing advice to anyone that wants to become a financial professional. What's the you know, one or two things that you would recommend that they think about or how they would approach becoming one of you? Yeah. You know, I think that my, my passion would be just, or would be to help women because it is such a hard road for us to get into the business. But I think it applies to anyone, any young person, whether it's a man or a woman trying to get into the business. The first thing is you have to be patient with yourself because there's a three to five year learning curve. No matter how much you think you know, once you get into our business, it's all different. And depending on if we do more with the advice and financial planning or more on the investment side, like there's so many facets in our business that are roads that you could go down. So I think being patient and being a good student, find a mentor who can really help you. And then remember, it's a three to five year learning path before maybe you really have the confidence. 
But once you do it, I think it's one of the best professions we could ever be in. If you're a woman, you can have a family, you can step in and out. And if you take on those traditional roles, if you're a man, you can step in and out if you take on that non-traditional role. So it's a, it's a great, great business, very rewarding, both financially and personally. I couldn't agree more. And hopefully we'll get lots of listeners inspired to give it a shot. The moral of the story, I think, is also for those people who are considering our business to take every opportunity to learn, to your point yeah. about being a student, but even from people outside of our business, Yes, right? There are aspects of other mentors that they could find and other businesses that could assist them in their growth into our world from a financial advice perspective. Did you have anyone that you can think of outside of the business that helped you? Yes, I had lots of people, but one in particular was a gentleman who actually owned a mutual fund. And when I was just starting out in my career, um, he gave me the opportunity to come work there. So I got to see how a business runs and how in the investment business industry works from the, from the business or corporate perspective, not just from the user perspective. Um, the other thing, though, is I'm a big student of um, how to build a business. Uh, there's lots of books written, you know, working on your business for, versus working in your business and what you need to do in order to accomplish both of those things, right? It's very different skill sets. So I agree completely. You have to be a student in all aspects of your practice or your business, not just in one, because if you have employees or if you want to have a succession plan, you, you need to understand what it takes to do all those things. And we need mentors because we don't necessarily get that training uh, in school. Absolutely. Denny, is there anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to share? I just want to thank you very much for the opportunity to be on the podcast and for the partnership with Cambridge. It's been wonderful. Well, congratulations for being one of our 2020 Spirit of Cambridge honorees. Thank you. You are clearly an, a great example of Cambridge Stronger, and I'm glad you could join me today. And we're thankful for having you in our family. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at CambridgeStronger.com. That's CambridgeStronger.com.